0: Welcome to NTD News Today, I'm Kevin Hogan. Let's take a look at our top stories. A new concern after the recent train derailment in Ohio, locals are now worried that the released chemicals are killing animals and could be cancerous in humans. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis wants to restrict ESG investing in Florida. He calls ESG a mechanism to inject political ideology into investment decisions and is proposing a new law to address it. The House of Representatives wants Dr. Anthony Fauci to testify about the origins of COVID-19. Lawmakers hope to investigate U.S. funding of a Chinese lab at the center of controversy. Tensions running high between the U.S. and China amid the spy balloon fallout, will this lead to supply chain cutoffs? How would that affect American businesses? And what about reshoring jobs from China? We bring you analysis. Nikki Haley announces that she is running for president. That makes her the first major Republican challenger to former President Trump's 2024 bid.
1: The Washington establishment has failed us over and over and over again. It's time for a new generation of leadership to rediscover fiscal responsibility, secure our border and strengthen our country, our pride and our purpose.
0: The former South Carolina governor is challenging her one-time boss for the 2024 Republican presidential nomination. Haley served as United Nations ambassador during the Trump administration. Before that, she was elected twice as South Carolina's governor. She was born in South Carolina to Indian immigrant parents, attended South Carolina's Clemson University, and has two children. During her tenure as ambassador, she and the White House diverged on the issue of sanctioning Russia. Other possible Republican presidential candidates could include former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, current Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, former Vice President Mike Pence, and current New Hampshire Governor Chris Sununu. In Ohio, the fire from recent train derailment has been put out, but now locals are complaining about another issue, animals falling sick and dying.
2: Reports say animals are falling sick or dying near the train derailment and chemical fire in East Palestine, Ohio. The fire was set by Norfolk Southern Railroad as part of a controlled release. Ohio's governor explained last Monday the vinyl chloride contents of five rail cars are currently unstable and could potentially explode, causing deadly disbursement of shrapnel and toxic fumes. Now the risk of explosion is over, but it looks like vinyl chloride wasn't the only toxic chemical on board. Last week, the Environmental Protection Agency, or EPA, wrote this letter to Norfolk Southern Railway saying there were at least four other relevant chemicals found at the site, some of which can cause permanent injury. In response, Norfolk Southern told the Epic Times, we have and will continue to perform or finance environmental monitoring and remediation. A North Lima resident who lives about 10 miles from the burn site, claimed some of her chickens died in recent days, telling ABC 27, as soon as they started the burn, my chickens slowed down and they died. If it can do this to chickens in one night, imagine what it's going to do to us in 20 years. A hazardous materials specialist told WKBN, we're going to be looking at this thing 5, 10, 15, 20 years down the line and wondering, gee, cancer clusters could pop up, you know, well water could go bad. Officials are now calling on Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg to take action. Democratic Rep. Ilhan Omar tweeted, East Palestine railroad derailment will have a significant negative impact on the health and well-being of the residents for decades, and there is almost zero national media attention. We need congressional inquiry and direct action from Pete Buttigieg to address this tragedy judge tweeted: The United States Department of Transportation has been supporting the investigation led by the National Transportation Safety Board, and that his teams were on site within hours of the initial incident. He added that the department will ensure accountability.
0: Three people have died and five are injured following a shooting on the Michigan State campus last night. The gunman reportedly died from a self-inflicted gunshot. And Tidies Daniel Monahan has more on the story. We are very
3: saddened to report that there has been an incident on the campus of Michigan
4: State University. Authorities in Michigan say shots were fired on the campus in East Lansing Monday evening in multiple locations. The incident started at around 8.30 p.m. local time. We received multiple 911 calls of a shooting inside Berkey Hall. Numerous officers responded. Police say they were on the scene within minutes. And there we did locate uh, several victims of a shooting. A shelter-in-place was ordered as officers searched for a suspect. About an hour later, campus police reported another shooting at the Michigan State University Union building.
3: Police and emergency responders acted quickly. We tended to the victims at both of those scenes.
4: FBI and ATF agents also responded to the scene. Police say the suspected gunman is dead. The individual was discovered off of East Lansing University's campus. He reportedly died from a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Daniel Monahan, NTD News.
0: Police say the five people injured in the shooting remain in critical condition at Sparrow Hospital. Fox News reports that the gunman was a 43-year-old black man who wasn't affiliated with the university. Now, onto some firearm legislation. Maryland lawmakers have introduced a bill to regulate the transfer of 10 or more firearms in a single transaction. It would require each of the firearms to include a tracking device, and the tracking devices have to be non removable. Any removal would have to render the firearm permanently inoperable. The bill says the seller must provide this tracking information to the state police. Any seller who does not build in the tracking devices for a mass firearms transfer or does not report them would be guilty of a civil offense. The fine would be up to $2,500. Critics say that kind of technology doesn't currently exist. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is proposing new laws for financial institutions. It would restrict them from using environmental, social and governance or ESG principles to guide investment decisions. Entities Daniel Monahan has the story. Who
4: governs our society? The Florida governor says he wants to protect the pensions of public employees in Florida and that ESG-driven investing may not be in people's best financial interests. And so he's proposed a new law to restrict ESG investing. If you think about it, your pension money, your retirement money is likely invested in, in some of these funds. And those funds should be done to try to produce the best result for you, DeSantis argues that ESG is a mechanism to inject political ideology into investment decisions and the everyday economy. He adds that ESG violates the responsibility that executives have to the shareholders of a publicly traded company. They're using shareholder assets to do that. They're using people's pension money and 401k money effectively to advance a political agenda. DeSantis says that isn't an appropriate use of corporate power. The proposed legislation would also protect Floridians from discrimination by banks and financial institutions for their religious, political or social beliefs. The governor said, quote, We believe in non-discrimination and we think that's an important principle. DeSantis also says Florida would prohibit financial companies from using social credit scoring in banking and lending decisions. This is actually something more likely to find uh, use in the CCP, it doesn't have a place in the U.S. of A. But what they're doing is they're ranking you about what you're doing to basically conform your behavior to their ideological uh, imperatives. The governor adds that's not acceptable in the state of Florida and says the state wouldn't bank its money with companies that are pursuing a so-called woke ESG agenda. Daniel Monahan, NTD News.
0: Congressman Jim Banks is calling on Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg to act after a historic painting of Jesus on the U.S. Merchant Marine Academy's campus was covered up. The 1944 painting entitled Christ on the Water depicts Jesus standing on the ocean with his arms outstretched as merchant mariners drift in a lifeboat nearby, presumably after being torpedoed during World War II. The piece hung at the Academy since 1947 until a curtain was draped over it last month in response to a complaint from the Military Religious Freedom Foundation. Banks wrote in a letter obtained by Fox News, quote, In 2019, the Supreme Court ruled that historic displays with religious symbolism are not a violation of the Constitution. The congressman noted that more than 4,000 midshipmen, academy alumni, and local community members signed a petition to remove the curtain covering the painting and place a plaque alongside it detailing its historic significance. The Senate advances two of President Joe Biden's judicial nominees, including one who refused to disavow racial quotas during questioning. During a heated exchange with Senator John Kennedy over racial quotas, judicial nominee Cindy Chung refused to disavow them on multiple questioning attempts. Despite that, the Senate approved Chung's nomination to the Philadelphia-based Third Circuit Court of Appeals. Those pushing her nomination through include Republican Senators Lindsey Graham, Lisa Murkowski, and Susan Collins. And for another nominee, Gina Mendez Miro, for the District Court of Puerto Rico, the Senate voted to end questioning, making her confirmation all but guaranteed. The final vote to confirm Mendez Miro will take place at a later time. Democrats in the Senate have now confirmed 99 of Biden's judicial nominees and are preparing to confirm the 100th. The Democrats have benefited from changes Republicans made to the filibuster near the end of 2020 when they reduced the number of senators needed to limit debate on judicial nominees from 60 to 51. And coming up, cross-sex procedures. What happens when they go wrong? Arkansas lawmakers want to make it easier to file malpractice lawsuits against doctors who do the procedures on minors. We have that and more after this break. Dr. Anthony Fauci and key figures in the Biden administration may have to testify about COVID-19. Two influential congressional committees are investigating the virus origins. The heads of the Select Subcommittee on the Coronavirus Pandemic and the House Committee on Oversight and Accountability are leading the investigation. They are looking into the origins of COVID-19 and the U.S. funding of the Wuhan Institute of Virology in China. In addition to Fauci, they are also requesting testimony from the president of EcoHealth Alliance, the director of national intelligence, the acting science advisor to President Biden, and the secretary of the Health and Human Services Department. Representative Brad Wenstrup wrote, quote, The American people deserve real answers after years of suffering through the coronavirus pandemic and related government policies. He added, quote, government scientists and government-funded researchers have so far been less than forthcoming in their knowledge and actions, including work with the Wuhan Institute of Virology and potential pandemic pathogens. The committees informed Fauci that he will be contacted to schedule a transcribed interview with the possibility of follow-up interviews. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy is going to visit the southern border on Thursday, and he will be taking a group of four freshman congressmen along with him. The four congressmen will join McCarthy for an aerial tour of U.S. Border Patrol's Tucson sector. They will also get a briefing from Customs and Border Protection officials. The Tucson sector covers most of the state of Arizona. It's approximately 260 miles long. It leads from the New Mexico State line to the Yuma County line, and it's one of Border Patrol's busiest sectors for illegal immigrant apprehensions and marijuana seizures. The visit will mark McCarthy's first time leading a House delegation to the border since becoming Speaker. He led three such trips last year as the House Minority Leader. Arkansas lawmakers are addressing cross-sex procedures for, for minorities. They want to make it easier to file malpractice lawsuits against doctors who provide them. Entities Daniel Monahan has more on their proposal.
4: A state senate panel endorsed the legislation on Monday. The law would allow someone who received gender reassignment procedures as a minor to file malpractice lawsuits against their doctor for up to 30 years after they turn 18. State Senator Gary Stubblefield discusses the thought process behind the law.
5: The idea that teenagers, let alone little children, are capable of making such life-altering decisions is not only brand new, but it's absurd.
4: Under current Arkansas law, medical malpractice claims can be filed within two years of an injury. The proposal is also being considered in other states as part of broader bans on such procedures for children. Dozens of bills in GOP statehouses have targeted the procedures this year. They feel life-altering decisions with irreversible consequences are better left to adults. Pharmacist Gwendolyn Herzig disagrees.
6: I have hundreds of patients currently on hormone replacement therapy that identify as being in the transgender
5: community.
4: Herzig says bills like SB 199 are designed to hinder, not help the people of Arkansas. Aaron Jennon discusses the gender reassignment procedures of his child.
3: It was a process that you know, we did not take lightly. It's just like any other medical procedure that has risks and side effects.
4: A federal judge who blocked Arkansas's ban on gender reassignment procedures for minors is considering whether to strike down the law as unconstitutional. Daniel Monahan, NTD News.
0: South Dakota is also addressing cross-sex procedures for minors. The state's governor, Kristi Noem, just signed the help, not harm bill into law. The new law takes effect on July 1st. Healthcare providers who violate the ban risk having their medical licenses revoked, along with possible legal action. The bill prohibits healthcare professionals from prescribing or administering certain medicines or surgeries to minors that attempt to alter their appearance or perception of their sex. These interventions include prescribing drugs to delay puberty and administering hormones in amounts greater than what is typically produced naturally in a healthy individual of the same age and sex. The law also blocks doctors from performing sterilization surgeries or surgeries that artificially construct genitalia differing from the minor's sex and procedures that remove healthy body parts or tissue. Minors with medically verifiable disorders of sex development are exempt from the ban. Meanwhile in Connecticut, a lawsuit challenging the state's transgender athlete policy has taken a new turn. A federal appeals court has agreed to reconsider the policy after an earlier court ruling against it. Starting in 2017, two male athletes in Connecticut began competing in girls' high school track and field by claiming a female gender identity. The two athletes broke 17 records in women's competitions. But according to Alliance Defending Freedom, other female athletes were denied more than 85 opportunities to advance to the next level of competition. The legal group filed the lawsuit on behalf of four female athletes from the state. Nearly half a million baby activity gyms have been recalled due to a potential choking hazard. The problem with this silver lining cloud activity gym made by Skip Hop lies within the cloud decoration that clips onto it. It has three raindrops that dangle by ribbons. Those raindrops can detach and then become choking hazards. Skip Hop says consumers can fix it by cutting off the raindrops with a pair of scissors. They are encouraged to take a photo of the toy with them removed and send it to the company through its website. Customers who do that will receive a $10 gift card and free shipping code for any other product. No injuries associated with the raindrops have been reported. The manufacturer of Snickers, Dove, and M&Ms has received a fine notice from the U.S. Occupational Safety and Health Administration. That was after two contractors at Mars Wrigley's Pennsylvania plant stumbled into a vat of melted chocolate while they were cleaning the equipment. According to a BBC report, the tank is used to mix ingredients. Officials say the two workers didn't have proper safety training before they started the job. Rescuers eventually cut into the bottom of the tank and pulled the two workers to safety. Mars Wrigley was fined more than $14,000 for the accident. A company spokesperson responded that the safety of workers and outside contractors is, quote, a top priority for their business. Amazon says it has tested a self-driving robo-taxi on public roads. The company used employees as passengers for the test. The test drive was done last week in California. The robo-taxi was built as a fully autonomous vehicle from scratch. That's different from other brands which use existing cars for self-driving. The robo-taxi comes without a steering wheel or pedals and has room for four passengers with two facing each other. The company's aim is commercial service for the general public but that will need additional government clearances. The company didn't provide a timeline for that. And still to come, mysterious green lasers spotted over the skies of Hawaii. Experts say they may have come from a Chinese satellite. And UK politicians join protesters after reports that the governor of China's Xinjiang region will be visiting the UK. The governor was sanctioned by the US for persecuting Uyghurs. We'll have the details soon when we return. Welcome back. The U.S. military has recovered key electronics from the downed Chinese spy balloon. U.S. Northern Command says that includes priority sensors and other components. A senior State Department official says the balloon had high-tech equipment on it and multiple antennas. He says the device was clearly for intelligence surveillance and likely capable of collecting and geolocating communications. China on Monday claimed that 10 U.S. high-altitude balloons have flown into its territory throughout the past year without permission. U.S. officials refute the claim. A new phenomenon in the sky. Numerous beams of green light were spotted over Hawaii. Experts say they believe they could have been fired by a Chinese satellite. The National Astronomical Observatory of Japan reported the finding on Twitter. Scientists from the agency said they, quote, captured green laser lights in the cloudy sky over Mauna Kea, Hawaii on January 28th. The lasers flashed for only a few seconds. The mysterious beams were first believed to have come from a NASA satellite, but the agency later made a correction, saying they were most likely from China's Dachi-1 AEMS satellite. According to a researcher at the University of Hawaii, that's an environmental measurement satellite used to monitor the Earth's atmosphere, and it poses no danger to Hawaii or local residents. Experts agree the object doesn't appear to be a spy satellite. Europe is not sending astronauts to China's space station, at least not in the near future. That's despite European astronauts training for potential visits to the Tiangong space station. That's according to the director general of the European Space Station. The agency manages Europe's space program. The agency has been training its astronauts with their Chinese counterparts, and in 2017, it said the goal was to fly European astronauts on the Chinese space station from 2022. The current international space station is slated to retire in 2030. It involves five members, the U.S., Russia, Japan, Europe, and Canada, But Russia is going to pull out in 2024 to set up its own space station. China has has invited many countries to join research activities in its space station. The U.S. did not sign on. Beijing said the space station would host scientific projects from 17 nations, including Switzerland, Poland, Germany, and Italy. And over in the U.K., a planned meeting between the U.K. government and the governor of China's Xinjiang region is causing some controversy. Uyghur activists are protesting against the visit and some U.K. politicians are calling for the government to take a tougher stance against him. today's Malcolm Hudson was on the scene. I'm here outside the Foreign Office where Uyghur
3: activists are protesting against planned meetings between U.K. government officials and the governor of Xinjiang, Erkin Tuniaz. Uyghurs are severely persecuted in Xinjiang, so they feel disappointed and insulted that the U.K. is meeting with Tuniaz. The Uyghurs were met by politicians, including former Conservative Party leader Sir Ian Duncan Smith.
5: So what the British government should have done is not tea and and hard talk. It should have been, you're sanctioned, go away, you're not coming here. That sends a much more powerful message to the Chinese government than having tea and a chat, which is a propaganda coup for them because it looks like it's been accepted. And I am hearing now that some countries in Europe where he wants to go next. Are not going to allow him in so the question is will it be the uk last of all to finally come to their senses
3: america sanctioned tuniaz at the end of 2021 for his role in the uyghur genocide but the uk government hasn't yet and they have been slow to take a tough stance against the chinese regime sir ian said this is due to the fear of losing business while noting the reason labor prices in china are so cheap is because of slave labor What would move Rishi Sunak and James Cleverley to to act and place sanctions against the Chinese Communist Party?
5: Uh, I hope they would do it right now. I hope all of these protests, all of these poor people whose families have been devastated by the abusive regime of President Xi, maybe their voice will speak to those in power today to say enough is enough. We must stand for people like this who have no other voice but that voices in the free world will speak for them. That's what we came into government for, and I remind them that's what we exist for in politics.
3: Rahima Mahmoud, the executive director of Stop Uyghur Genocide, said the government hasn't met with the Uyghurs yet, so she feels the meeting with Tuniaz is an insult and a betrayal.
7: We believe
8: the UK government should have sanctioned the governor and also the party secretary, Chen who is there architect who was the architect of this genocide, mass detention, turning the entire region into an open-air prison. And that's why we are completely outraged and we felt being betrayed and insulted.
3: The persecution of the Uyghurs isn't new. It's gone on for decades. But it was severely ramped up in 2016. Dilnaz Karim, a student and activist Recounted how her father was imprisoned 30 years ago for protesting, for a protest he didn't even know about.
7: He was tortured every single day. He was. He was brought to this condition where, at the end of six months, he couldn't even stand by himself. Innocent people still are going through similar um, issues. They are still being tortured. They are still being uh, tortured, killed just because who they are, and the government knows about this, but they. Kind of reject to act on to the cause.
3: President of the UK Uyghur community, Myra Aceva, said she really appreciates the support they've received in the UK.
7: I know we've got lots of supporters in this country, uh, which is great, you know, great support. Uh, MPs, p- members of parliaments who've been sanctioned because of us. You know, they just sacrificed a uh, lot of things because of us. Yeah, it's. Um, um, you know, very valuable, uh, but the British government itself hasn't done anything so far.
3: Just as the protest was ending, Saver told me the Foreign Office had accepted a letter from the Uyghurs. It was a request for a meeting with the department. She said they were told the letter would be handed to the Foreign Secretary. Malcolm Hudson, NTD News, London.
0: Gross violations of human rights and suppression of religious freedom. For more than 20 years, the Chinese regime has been persecuting practitioners of the spiritual group Falun Gong. And today's Tiffany Meyer brings us more on the story. A brutal persecution that began two decades ago still happening today
1: in mainland China. The victims are followers of a spiritual practice called Falun Gong. According to U.S.-based Falun Gong information website Minghui, 117 practitioners were sentenced for their beliefs in January this year. Among them, more than 30 were over 60 years old. The longest prison term they received reaching seven and a half years. Those 117 arrests took place across 15 provinces. What's more, the CCP also seized money from the Falun Gong practitioners. Measures reportedly included extortion and blackmail through the courts and police. The amount totaled up to $100,000. According to its website, Falun Gong is an ancient cultivation method based on the principles of truthfulness, compassion and forbearance. It originated in China but has gained popularity in more than 70 countries worldwide. But in 1999, the Chinese Communist Party, or CCP, waged a violent campaign against Falun Gong. Since then, millions of people have been detained, tortured, and killed for their beliefs. Some even had their organs harvested while they were still alive. The persecution continues to this day.
0: Next, we hear some analysis on how the fallout from the Chinese spy balloon could affect American commerce. An expert weighs in on the impact to businesses and whether it could lead to more jobs coming back from overseas. Joining us now is the founder and CEO of the U.S. Hispanic Business Council, Javier Palomares. It is great having you with us today, Javier.
9: Thanks for having me, Kevin. Good morning to you.
0: Tensions are running high between the U.S. and China amid the spy balloon fallout. How is this going to affect American small businesses?
9: You know, I I think to be clear, you know, there's a lot of unknowns and uncertainty as to what happens next with China. But clearly, uh, things don't seem to be getting better. And as these tensions rise between that nation and ours, uh, I think the implications for our economy and our small businesses are not to be ignored.
0: So how would it impact small businesses? And are they ready for any impacts?
9: You know, I think um, the the short answer is no, (laughs) unfortunately. I THINK FROM AN ECONOMIC PERSPECTIVE, AS I LOOK AT WHAT'S GOING ON, my, my, MY THINKING TURNS TO TWO THINGS, FIRST MANUFACTURING AND THEN TECHNOLOGY. FROM A MANUFACTURING STANDPOINT, BETWEEN IMPORTED GOODS, uh, TEXTILES AND APPLIANCES, YOU'RE LOOKING AT ABOUT $158 BILLION OF IMPORTS FROM CHINA ON AN ANNUAL BASIS. THESE ARE THE THINGS THAT YOU AND I AND, and EVERY AMERICAN FAMILY AND EVERY AMERICAN SMALL BUSINESS relies upon just to operate on a daily basis. If we lose that portion of the supply chain, the the impacts uh, are going to be immense and they're going to be predominantly um, will be the the brunt of those impacts will be on the American small business community. From a technology standpoint, uh, between equipment and components to include semiconductors and chips, you're looking at an additional 135 billion dollars in imports on an annual basis and just to kind of put it into context kevin if you remember you know covid era at its height in 2021 during that year alone because of the you know cutting off of the supply chain from china to the us our economy lost over 248 billion dollars in that year alone
0: so describe how this supply chain dynamic works. I mean, would Beijing, for example, not want to include U.S. in the supply chain, given that they're now accusing the U.S. of flying these same crafts over their country, which the White House is denying?
9: You know, I, I don't know where we go from here. Uh, surely, you know, ap- you know, it, implications and and accusations will fly back and forth. Uh, for our small business association, our concern is to ensure that. Our, our legislators, that the administration, that the president himself, clearly in mind, you know, it looks at it from a business perspective, as well as the implications for things as drastic as war. Um, our concern, uh, predominantly, as it relates to what's happening right now, are the small business issues and the impact on the American economy. Small businesses that operate in this sector will be the first to suffer and will suffer the longest. Um, and so, in,
0: Javier, what's the best way to look at this from a business perspective?
9: You know, in our mind, Kevin, th- this is a another kind of indication, a clear one, that we need to bring manufacturing jobs back to America. Uh, we need to be at a place where the, the source for American-made goods is America. These jobs need to be brought back here. We need to wean our dependency uh, from adversaries like China.
0: And Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has a similar viewpoint. He criticized the U.S. dependence on Chinese-made products. He said, quote, We need to recapture all the supply chains and get them out of China and bring them back here. So will this balloon incident expedite reshoring American jobs from China?
9: You know, um, from, from DeSantis's ear to God's, I mean, from DeSantis' lips to God's ear, um hopefully that's what will happen i think this is a very clear indication to this administration that we need to get busy and get on about the business of bringing manufacturing back to the united states as it turns out 99% of domestic manufacturers happen to be the small businesses that we uh, you know we advocate on behalf of so we would be thrilled to help this administration figure out, we'd be thrilled to ignore, uh, you know, inform their strategy for bringing these manufacturing jobs back to the United States. I couldn't agree more with Governor DeSantis.
0: Yes, it'd be good for you to give them a path forward. Now, the founder and CEO of the U.S. Hispanic Business Council, Javier Palomares, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks for having me, Kevin. If you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at ntd.com. And coming up, a man is in court following protests over a drag queen event for children hosted by London's Tate Britain. And the French government is repatriating the families of ISIS fighters, but some experts say it could increase extremism. We'll take a look at the controversial issue and more here on NTD News Today. Now on to the war in Ukraine. The U.S. and NATO are pledging unwavering support for Ukraine. U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin echoed Ukraine's need for additional military support. Ukraine has urgent requirements to help it it meet this crucial moment
1: in the course of the war. And President Zelensky underscored Ukraine's need for more equipment at our last meeting in Ramstein. The Kremlin is still betting that it can wait us out. But one year on, we are as united as ever. And that shared resolve will help sustain Ukraine's momentum in the crucial weeks ahead and help Ukraine travel the challenging road that lies beyond.
0: The meeting in Brussels came amid Russia's new offensive around the first anniversary of the war. NATO is planning to boost its ammunition stockpile to support Ukraine. The country's shells production has been struggling to keep pace with the war. Ukraine has renewed its plea for more firepower. NATO's Secretary General agreed that Russia is gearing up for a new offensive. He called the current fight, quote, a grinding war of attrition, and he urged allies to supply more arms to Ukraine. Among other countries, Germany has signed contracts with weapons manufacturers. They will start producing ammunition for the anti-aircraft guns Germany sent to Ukraine. NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg will wind up his term in October. A spokesperson for the alliance said he won't seek another term extension. Stoltenberg became NATO chief in 2014. He spent nine years in office, and his term has been extended three times. It's unclear who will succeed him. In the UK, protesters clashed outside London's Tate Britain over the weekend as the gallery hosted a drag queen story hour for children. The Metropolitan Police arrested one protester who was later charged and Titty's Jane Whirl was there and sent us this report.
7: The protests here are in reaction to the Tate Britain hosting a Drag Queen Storytime for children. On the Tate's website, they described the drag queen, Ada HD, as an ADHD neurodivergent queer hero of literature, theatre and children's entertainment. On one side are trans activists who didn't want to be interviewed by us, and on the other side, uh, we spoke to some people who are concerned about children being exposed to gender ideology and sexualisation. One group of protesters had banners that read Trans Rights Now, and don't let the far right divide us. Another group of protesters had banners reading, leave our kids alone. The Met Police said one man was arrested at the protest and later charged with assault on an emergency worker, obstruction of a police officer and a homophobic aggravated offence. Meanwhile, drag queen Ada HD tweeted that despite the disruptions, show two went swimmingly. Esther and Marion travelled to London with their sisters to protest against the event. We just think that there should be an investigation before they let someone like that in there to be near children. So we're not saying all drag queens are pedos or anything like that. It's just, this is a very big concern for us. Five of our sisters and we're all very passionate about, I don't know, we know what it is to be a woman and we're here to stand for it and protect our children in the end. And we do care about everyone here. And everyone's calling us Nazis, but obviously we're not. We love everyone here and we want the best for them, but we want them to realize that this is wrong, this is evil and we're not gonna shut up. We're not gonna be shut down. The group on the other side of the line of police included people from Stand Up to Racism, the Socialist Workers Party, and Transgender Action Block. They refused to be interviewed and said we were fascist. Hey, this
9: is a really unsafe place for you to be right now. You're on the other. You're on the wrong
7: side.
5: I'm a reporter. <laughs>
7: One protester stayed with us to warn others not to take interviews. But are, are there any other people who are sometimes open to speaking to no, people? They rather dark. No. To a fascist organisation because if you we're see not fascist, okay, they're anti-fascist. Prior to the drag queen story hour at the Tate, people had raised concerns. A group, Art Not Propaganda, launched a petition demanding Tate to stop promoting gender ideology to children. And in an open letter to the chair of the Tate, Conservative peer Baroness Nicholson said, the advocates for queer ideology are not appropriate role models for young children, not even if they are reading a cereal box. Drag Queen Story Hour is not panto, it's propaganda. In a statement, Tate Britain said, we do not programme artists in order to promote particular points of view, nor to reconcile differing points of view. Our galleries offer a broad programme, and visitors have the freedom to choose which aspects of it they engage with. Jane Worrell, NTD News, London.
0: The repatriation of families of ISIS fighters is a controversial issue. France last month repatriated several dozen women and children who were held in ISIS camps in Syria, but some experts worry that the mothers, who go directly to prison, could radicalize other inmates. NTD's France correspondent David Vives has the details.
6: Last month, France repatriated 47 women and children of former ISIS fighters. Though the country has a strict policy on this, an increasing number of groups of women and children have been returned since mid-2022. This comes after the European Court of Human Rights condemned France for not caring for the mothers and children. Justice Minister Eric Dupont-Moretti said back in October that it was France's duty to bring them back and educate the children.
5: There
10: is a duty of humanity and vigilance. Humanity because they are children, French children. As some child psychiatrists say, they are time bombs. We have to watch over them because leaving them there means taking the risk that one day they will come back here to plant bombs. And then a duty of vigilance, a psychological and a psychiatric
6: follow-up. But this raises safety concerns. Lawyer Janson, who looked at the cases of these repatriations, says it's impossible for the intelligence services to monitor them properly, even when they're incarcerated. Terrorists
10: who return from conflict zones are put in detention, sometimes in solitary confinement. Today you have members of the anti-terrorist section of the Paris Public Prosecutor's Office tell you that, in any case, even when placed in solitary confinement, there is always a way to communicate. We don't have really tight isolation in France, we are not
6: sufficiently equipped. According to the Justice Ministry, there are about 650 radicalized prisoners in France. Janson says the spreading of ISIS ideology inside the prisons is a very serious issue.
10: This obviously raises a whole series of questions about the issue of detention of these people, because you obviously will have people who will be radicalized in prison, even if most of the radicalized prisoners were already so before.
6: In order to deal with the radicalization inside the prisons, the government has created specific programs for reintegration. Janson says it's hard to say how effective these are, as radicalized inmates might hide their true intentions.
10: What I'm saying is that, yes, there is a part of the penal population in France which is really dangerous, with people who are very determined, very radicalized, who seek to attack not just to attack but to kill and these people must be treated in a specific way and for these people and for the institutions that take them in i think that we need to have stricter safeguards
6: according to the ministry of justice there are about 300 convicted terrorists in french prisons and around 270 have been released over the last two years french authorities have maintained the terrorist threat to a high level meaning terrorists are very likely to try to carry out attacks in France. David Vives, NTD News, Paris.
0: The European Union is set to effectively ban new sales of fossil-fueled cars starting in 2035. The European Parliament approved the landmark legislation today. Under the new rule, by 2035, automakers also have to achieve a 100% cut in carbon dioxide emissions from new cars sold, That means fossil fuel-powered cars will be nearly impossible to sell in the 27-nation block. And starting in 2030, the law also requires a 55% cut in carbon dioxide emissions from new cars sold compared to 2021 levels. The existing target is just under 38%. The deal still needs a formal rubber stamp, which is expected in March. The auto industry is already feeling the effects of the EU plan. Automaker Ford plans to cut almost 4,000 jobs in Europe. Ford's Germany chairman says the company's future is electric. Ford announced the decision today. They say the plan aims to cut costs and be competitive in the electric vehicle market. Most of the jobs will be cut in Germany and the UK. This might come as a shock to unions. They previously said the worst-case scenario would be 2,500 jobs cut. Ford is spending 50 billion dollars on electrifying its product range. The company's chief financial officer said earlier this month that Ford will be very aggressive in cutting costs. And up next, archeologists in Spain are restoring an ancient synagogue that had been tucked away for centuries among modern buildings. And how about a night in a famous opera house in Paris? Airbnb is offering just that with its Phantom of the Opera themed stay that and more when we return. Good to have you back with us. In southern Spain, a centuries-old synagogue has been discovered. It was hidden under a building that used to be a bar until recently. The building that houses this 14th century synagogue served as a church and then a hospital before it became a bar. A priest and historian recorded about this synagogue in 1604. He wrote, a hospital stood where the Jews used to pray. The place was converted into a church in the 16th century when all traces of its Jewish history were wiped out. Archaeologists are examining the building in hopes of finding more valuable parts. A team of architects is looking for the location of the pulpit and the bath used for ceremonies.
10: The value that it has is fundamental. It is the opportunity to recover a fundamental part of the history, not only of Utrera, but of the whole Iberian Peninsula. I am referring to having the opportunity to learn more about Jewish Iberian Peninsula Sepharad and to complete the information that we have today about this historical moment so important historically and socially for us.
0: There are only a handful of medieval synagogues surviving in Spain. In recent years, interest in Spain's Jewish history has been growing. More tourists are traveling to towns that have traces of this past. In 1492, Spain's Catholic monarch ordered the country's then 200,000 Jews to convert to Christianity. Otherwise, they would be deported. Spain is now working to make amends for this decision. In 2015, the Spanish government allowed the descendants of exiled Hispanic Jews to apply for Spanish citizenship. More than 130,000 have done so. Archaeologists present a unique find in southeast Mexico. The ancient buildings and sculptures are known as the Chichen Viejo Archaeological Site in Yucatan. Experts from Mexico's National Institute of Anthropology and History recently took a close look at the site. They say what's unusual about it is that there aren't clear residential areas. They conclude that the whole thing is a housing complex for the entire city, or to quote one archaeologist, a residential group where a ruler lived with his entire family. It's the first one discovered of its kind. The complex consists of an entrance arch and various rooms like the House of Snails or the House of the Moon, and there's even a platform representing a turtle. Researchers hope that this area and those yet to be uncovered can provide clues to what life was like for people who inhabited the city. Visitors will soon be able to see the complex when it's integrated into nearby Chichen Itza archaeological site. Airbnb is offering a night for two in the Palais Garnier Opera House in Paris this summer. The special offer transforms a box in the theater into a plush bedroom with sweeping views of the famous auditorium. The phantom of the opera-themed stay comes as tourism bounces back in Europe. Visitors from the United States have been arriving in France in droves since last summer. European capitals are also gearing up for the return of Chinese tourists following the lifting of travel restrictions. Airbnb offered the unusual overnight stays in the French capital before the pandemic. Those included a shark tank in the city's aquarium, the skull-lined catacombs, the Moulin Rouge Cabaret, and the glass pyramid in the Louvre. The Airbnb director says the idea is to encourage people, quote, to travel and dream at the same time and raise a lot of emotions around travel.
3: So this space is uh, going to be the room uh, for one night uh, for two people. It's a room that has been, uh, that is right in front of the scene. Uh, It's a loge d'honneur, which is probably one of the most iconic places.
2: You are currently in the Foyer de la Danse, Dancers' Foyer, which is one of the most emblematic places of the Palais Garnier. It is where the dancers stretch, warm up and get ready before the show takes place on stage.
8: My great-grandfather was a journalist before he was a writer, so all his novels are based on real events. The opera Garnier had been burnt around the period of 1880 to 1886, and so he was inspired by that fire when he built that love story between three
0: people. The stay includes a music recital, dinner in an ornate rehearsal room and backstage, and a behind-the-scenes tour of the elaborate 19th-century building. It's set to be listed on March 1st for 37 euros, which is also the number on the box, one of the theater's most prestigious. It's sure to be a competitive listing because it's offered on a first-come, first-served basis. And just ahead, of Valentine's Day gift idea, a popular heart-shaped island in Croatia. The island is now up for sale, and it's priced at over $13 million. And in the Philippines, an unusual wedding with the bride holding a bouquet of red onions goes viral. What inspired her? We'll be back with more soon here on NTD News. The world's first dating service for unvaccinated people has launched in Hawaii. The dating app Unjected was founded by two business partners, moms and best friends. Businesswoman Shelby Thompson and Heather Pyle of Hawaii found the online dating game a frustrating experience for the unjabbed. Many unvaccinated people lost their jobs and relationships because they chose to remain unvaccinated. In May, 2021, the two launched Unjected on Google and Apple's app store. But Apple decided to remove it from the App Store, claiming it provided medical disinformation. When Google threatened to follow suit, Thompson and Pyle pulled the plug on both media giants. Unjected.com went live using the web domain host GoDaddy in August 2021. Thompson said Unjected is more than a dating service for the unvaccinated. It's also a blood bank database and a fertility bank for the unvaccinated. The dating service alone boasts 110,000 subscriptions in 85 countries. It has 3,000 to 5,000 new clients every month. Thompson described the unvaccinated population as a health-conscious group concerned about their children's future, living, and unborn. Today is Valentine's Day. We asked people for their ideas on how to maintain a healthy relationship. Here's what they had to say.
1: My advice I would give for a good and healthy relationship is communication and respect. Communication
2: can go a long way.
4: Trust and communication is everything.
2: Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Communication. Communication. You have to be open with your person about any kind of issue. You have to communicate. Mm
4: What can help a relationship, yeah. uh-huh. honesty, um, being able to talk and communicate always, um, being able to make sure you understand trust.
9: I would say to have date night every Friday night. And as time goes on, you should have date night and go out to dinner every night.
1: My advice is to listen and care deeply every day.
4: Yeah, you've got to have... Uh empathy and communication.
1: For me, I think it's compromise,
7: and I don't think that relationships are 50-50. It's 100%, 100%,
1: 100% of the time. Mm -hmm. To think about the other person before you think about yourself.
2: Trust each other and accept each other, and I think you'll be fine. Accountability, being able to say you're sorry, um, being able to own up when you impact other people.
9: I think, first of all, is honesty. A good good platform to get started on.
1: Just taking your time to get to know each other, really. Just a foundation, really. Building a strong foundation and let it go from there.
2: I think the most important thing is to enjoy doing things together.
6: To to listen and invest time with your partner. Uh,
4: Talk. Talk.
0: (laughs) (laughs) In Croatia, a popular heart-shaped island in the Pashman Channel is entering the market. Many top celebrities have visited the island. The first chart of the island was allegedly drawn in the 19th century by Napoleon's cartographer. Google included a map of the island in 2009, and that was the first time the island came into public view. In 2019, archeologists from a Croatian university found traces of human settlement there dating back 7,000 years. The total area of the island is over 3,000 acres, More than a third is being offered to potential buyers for development. The sale price is over 13 million dollars. Proceeds will go to investments elsewhere in the local community.
4: It is still the island of love, perhaps the most beautiful island in Croatia, and definitely the most popular and well-known. It tells you everything that Beyonce celebrated her 39th birthday there, and every year she is there for a few days, if not weeks. Michael Jordan was there last year, so was Jeff Bezos. I really think that there is no shortage of celebrities around this island.
0: One of the most recognizable islands in Croatia, Golesniak, is perfectly shaped like a heart. For this reason, it got the nickname Love Island. The place is no longer inhabited. There are no hotels, villas, or restaurants on the island, but it remains an attractive destination for tourists. Celebrities go to the island every summer for vacations on yachts. A video of a special wedding has gone viral online in the Philippines. In it, the bride walks into the chapel holding a bouquet of tear-jerking vegetables.
2: Music plays, curtains rise. The bride enters dressed in white, but instead of a floral bouquet, she is holding a large handful of red onions.
1: All our
8: entourage were wearing onions. Even the wristlets and corsages of our godfathers are all made of onions. My bouquet, which was some 11 pounds of onions, and even with my bridesmaids bouquets, they were made of onions.
2: The unusual wedding took place last month in the Philippines, where the price of onions has overtaken that of chicken or pork. This made onions a better choice than flowers after the ceremony the onions will be enough for several more meals
8: four days before the wedding four days before the wedding we changed our plans why not have the concept to use onions so that after the wedding we can still use them unlike with just using flowers after the event you can only display them and then they will wither and be thrown out so why not be more practical
2: By the end of December last year, the price of red onions shot up to around $6 per pound. That was seven times higher than the price in June. The Philippine government blames unscrupulous traders and hoarders for the price hike, but dealers say they are also struggling.
8: Of course, it was hard for us because the price reached more than $5 per pound. We feel sorry for some of the buyers. We were only able to sell a few, not a lot.
2: Officials have approved the import of over 23,000 tons of onions to address the supply shortage. Now onion prices have dropped to around $2 per pound in the market, though this figure is still far above the recommended retail price.
0: That's all for today's program. We're really glad to have you with us. Please send us an email if you'd like to tell us something. We're going to put it on screen. For podcasters, that's news.today at NTD.com. I'm Kevin Hogan, NTD News, New York City.